0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Let's get into the book, segment of chapter 8. Last night we talked about the, uh, the churches of Macedonia. And we saw how that the first church is Jerusalem, and then persecution comes, and the apostles were scattered, I'm sorry, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, the people were scattered, they went, from, they went, they went everywhere, preaching the word, and they went as far as, as, as to Antioch, city called Antioch. And for the first time then, they deliberately uh, began to cross over the cultural barriers and to preach to the Gentiles. And in this great multicultural city of Antioch, people got saved from all types of backgrounds. And it was such an amazing, incredible thing that the apostles in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to go check it out and see whether or not what was going on here because it was so unusual, so unique. And so they did. And then, of course, uh, Barnabas and Saul stayed. Barnabas and Saul stayed there for a year teaching and preaching. And the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work where I have called them. And they left. And then they go to a place. He, he sees that vision that says we want to go we want you to come over to Macedonia and so he goes to Macedonia the chief city of Macedonia is Philippi that was where they went, to Philippi, and they got the church in Philippi started. Then they went from Philippi to Thessalonica, and we saw that the church at Philippi helped them financially. Antioch sends them out, and then at Philippi, they established a church. That church was then taught missions, and they began to give, and they began to help support the, the, the apostles and others as they went uh, from there to uh, Thessalonica, and then Thessalonica, they went to Berea, and so they began to start these churches, and these churches in that area are called the churches of Macedonia. And they're the ones that Paul is writing about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, Paul writes, writes to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He's talking about a missions offering, a special offering, not the tithe. Over and above the tithe, money that they're going to give to help with missions. And here's what he says. He says to the church at Corinth, I want to encourage you by telling you about some other churches of Macedonia, and these people gave an extraordinary supernatural giving. It was amazing how they gave. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and these are those churches we looked at last night. This is Philippi. This is Thessalonica. This is the church at Berea. There's no, there's no Berean uh, letter, but but we, we assume that Paul started a church in Berea as well as he went there. And they, these were more noble, you remember, than those in Thessalonica because they, they searched the word of God daily. So obviously he left a the church there. So uh, these churches would include Philippi, would include Thessalonica, would include Berea. Moreover, brethren, Second Corinthians eight one. we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Those churches would be included there that we talked about last night. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded on the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. So these people were giving... Incredibly. I mean, it, they, they gave to their power, that means as much as they could, and then beyond. They gave more than they could possibly give, even. And how did they do that? Uh, verse 4 says, They were praying us with much entreaty. They were pleading with us, Paul says, that we would receive the gift. They're not, they're not squeezing money out of these people, they're not twisting their arm and putting them on a guilt trip, trying to get them to, to give. These people are saying, St. Paul, we, look, look, let us give. We want to give, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. How they do this? This they did not as we hope, but they first gave their own selves to the Lord. That was the key. They gave themselves totally to God, and then to us by the will of God. Whatever whatever it is that God wants us to do, that's what we want to do. And so tonight, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about 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 this. Ability, this supernatural giving that the church at Corinth was doing, uh, the, I'm sorry, that the churches of Macedonia were doing, that I prayed that God would help us, each of us individually, to become that type of a giver. I mean, there are two kinds of people. There's takers and givers. I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a taker. I don't want to live my life a taking. I want to live my life giving. And God will bless that. And that's, that's the heart that all of us should have. Let's pray and then let's, let me give you four simple thoughts. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight to be here. Thank you for what we've seen and heard already. Thank you for this church, for these people. I pray, God, that you'd give them just the determination and the love for you to just stick it out. And, Lord, uh, and I pray you'd bless them. I pray for this new property. And, the, and the, God, that God, you'd, you'd just open doors for them in wonderful ways. I pray for my dear friends there in Seattle area, Father, as well, that, Lord, you'd open the doors for them and pastor friends all over this country that are, that are, that are struggling right now. Father, I pray, God, you'd give relief, and I pray you'd send revival to our nation. Bless us now tonight. Teach us these, things, these principles of giving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How were they able to give in such an amazing way? Now, these churches gave in a very unusual way. Look at verse 3 again. To their power... I bear record ye, and beyond their power. Uh, notice, if you would please, this is, this is supernatural. They're giving. If, if, I gave you, if I were to give to my power, that means to my ability. Everything that I could give, I've given. But, but how do I go beyond my power? <laughs> now it's God working through me. If we're, if we're giving like that, this is, not, this is not something we get the credit for. This is something God gets the glory for. We, we, to their power and beyond. How did they do this? Let me give you some thoughts. Number one, first of all, I think here was a key. They did not wait until they could afford it to give. Look at verse 2. How in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Now, notice a couple of words here. Underline, if you, if you, if you do that, underline in your Bible. Would you underline the word affliction and the word poverty? Uh, those two words mean that they were not in a good situation. <laughs> they were in affliction. They were in poverty. Notice, if you would, please, the abundance of their joy. You don't normally think of joy affiliated in line with these two words, affliction and, and poverty. Um, they were joyful people. They didn't wait until they could afford to give. If anyone could have said, hey, we can't afford to give... It was the churches of Macedonia, but instead they were eager to give. We saw in verse 4 that they were pleading with with, with Paul, saying, look, we want to give. And and don't don't think that we, just because we're uh, suffering persecution right now, just because we're having our own personal COVID-19, whatever was going on there, and just because we're in poverty, we've lost our job, don't think that we cannot give. We want to give. They they didn't wait to give. The bottom line is this. If you want to give to missions, you're going to find a way. It's just that simple. Um, it was, well, I can't afford to. Look, look you'll, you'll find a way. If you want to, do, you, we always find a way to do what we want to do. My wife and I have been married for 48 years. This coming January 29th will be 49. The first time I ever met her, I met her on May 10th, 1971. I'll never forget it. most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And 48 years later, she's still the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. I was uh, when I first looked at her. I was I was uh, nineteen years. I'm sorry. I was I was twenty years old, and she was eighteen years old. And I looked at her, and I thought, "Wow, whoa, whoa, unbelievable! She's an angel." I mean, I mean, I just I just thought the most beautiful beautiful creature I've ever seen in my life, and uh, and and so. Um, I I I I'm not look. I don't believe teenagers. Listen, t- teenagers. There's no such thing as love at first sight. Okay, it doesn't exist. There is no such thing as love at first sight. Don't be coming home to your mom and dad saying, "Oh, mom, I'm in love. I saw him on my heart. Oh, I love him. I love her." Now, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as love at first sight. It doesn't happen. But it did happen to me. That's not going to happen to you. But it happen to me. And so it happened to me, but that's the last time it ever happened. That was almost 50 years ago, 48 years ago, 49 years ago. And uh, May 10th, 1971, by January 29th, 1972, I had her at the altar, man. We were married. I loved my wife. Um, We we could not afford to get married, we couldn't afford to. It's just that simple. By the time, look, I, she was 19, I was 21, I'm marrying her, I'm still 21 years old, when we got married, she's still 19, and, and we couldn't afford to get married, we had, we, we had nothing, we had no money, we, didn't, we couldn't afford, I mean, you know, but we, we did it anyway, we figured it out, uh, If why, I wanted to, she wanted to, we, want, we were in love, we wanted to get married, you figure it out. If you, if, if, if you really wanted to give to missions, I'm telling you, you would. You sell something. You cut something out. Get rid of something. Give up something. I take a second job. Give up Netflix. How about cable TV? How about get rid of your smartphone? I mean, we find a way to do what we really want to do. In our world today, there are multiplied millions of people who will be born, now think about this, they will be born, they will live their entire life, and they will die without ever hearing a presentation of the gospel. Not one time ever hearing how to be saved. And multiplied, tens of millions of them we're talking about, perhaps billions, who are, they're born, they live their entire life, and they die, and and, and they've never heard a presentation of the gospel, never. You say, what happens to them? They go to hell, according to the Bible. If our Bible is true, and it is, they die and go to hell. He says, it's not fair. I'm just telling you, it, 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 they die and go to hell. They're lost. People are not lost because they, because they heard the gospel and rejected it. They're already lost. That's why we take them the gospel. Think about it. If people in heathen lands and foreign lands, if they were not responsible because they never heard the gospel, then don't tell them. Pull the missionaries back. Why send a missionary to a group of people if they're not not lost? You, You know what I'm saying? They're not lost because they heard the gospel. They were already lost. That's why we take them the gospel. You were already lost before you heard the gospel. And somebody loved us enough to bring us that message of salvation. They're born, they live, they die. And some of them, now not, not most people have heard the name Jesus. But there, are, I'm telling you, there are people who have not. Now there are, there are multitudes of people who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel, but they've heard the name Jesus. I was in Thailand, in Bangkok, my wife and I, a number of years ago. We were in a taxi cab. I, I, I'm telling you, this, this is a true story. In Thailand, Bangkok. I mean, this, is not, this is a huge city, over 10 million people. Lots of tourists. People come and go there all the time. And, and we were in a taxi cab, and, a taxi and, and the, the, the driver of the taxi, his English was excellent. We're sitting in the back, he's taking us somewhere, and I said to him, uh, we're, we're talking in English, a conversation, you'd think he was an American, Thai fella. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, hey, let me ask you a question. He said, sure. I said, have, have you ever heard of uh, Kobe Bryant? He said, yeah. I said, have you heard of Donald Duck? He looked at me, he said, yeah. Look back, he's driving, I said, you, heard, you ever heard of Mickey Mouse? He turned and looked at me, he said, sure. I said, have you ever heard of Jesus Christ? He said, Who? I said, Jesus Christ. Have you heard of him? He said, no, who is he? I mean, he heard of Donald Duck. He knew Kobe Bryant. They, but he didn't know who Jesus was. If, if somehow tonight, if we could lift up the curtain and we could, we could, we could see into hell for five seconds, I'm telling you, it would, it would totally change, transform our lives. None of us, including myself, we would never be the same again. I'm glad we cannot see hell. If we could look into the dungeon of the damned and hear people screaming and crying and and and, and 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 see what the, the suffering of hell, we'd figure out a way to give. We'd figure out a way to go. We'd figure out a way to get the gospel. These people, these people cared. Why don't we do something about that sad reality that people are lost and have never heard the gospel? Here's why. We don't care. I know we say we do. I I get it. but, But we don't really care. If we cared, we'd do something. We would. These Macedonian Christians, they cared. They remembered what it was like before the apostle Paul came and brought them the gospel. They, they remember what it was like when they were in heathen darkness and they were lost and had no hope of salvation, no hope of, of heaven. And now when they had an opportunity to give, they said to Paul, hey, look, I know we're poor. Yeah, I know we're in affliction. I know we're, we're, we're having persecution. But, but, Paul, we can give. We cannot give maybe as much as others, but we can do something. Please, we are pleading with you. Take the money. Paul said, no no wonder Paul was so inspired. He says to the church at Corinth, let me tell you how these people were giving. They didn't wait until they could afford it. Second principle. Notice the second thing, if you would please, with me very quickly. Number two, how could they give this way? First of all, they didn't wait to give. Secondly, they understood the principle of stewardship. Look at verse five. Verse five says this. This they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. And unto us by the will of God, they understood the principle of stewardship. You say, "What's that principle?" The principle of stewardship simply says this: that God owns everything, and we are stewards. Now, a steward is a manager of what belongs to somebody else. Right? So they 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 gave themselves to the Lord. They said, "They said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Everything's on the altar with them." They said, "Lord." <clears throat> you own it all. We give ourselves totally to you. And then whatever else by the will of God. And, and if it's the will of God that we also give ourselves to the Apostle Paul in this, in this raising of this mission's offering, then we want to do it. They understood that everything they had belonged to God. They were, they were not owners. They were simply stewards. They had surrendered it all. The, the money wasn't theirs. They were, they were stewards. They were not owners. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Everything is God's. Everything everything that we have, everything that you see, it's all God's. We We are stewards. We are managers. We are not owners. Understanding and living this principle would change your life. God owns everything. We're simply stewards. Everything we have has been given to us by God, our Father, and our job is to manage the things that he gives us. You may say, well, I worked for it. It's mine. Let me ask a question. Who gave you the strength to work for it? Who gave you the brain, the mind, the physical ability? Who led to that job? Who, who blessed you? Who gave you these things? That, that it belongs to God. You're a manager. You say, well, I, I made wise investments. Who gave, you the, who gave you the wisdom to invest wisely? Uh, it, it's all God's. Everything belongs to God. All he asks is that we be wise stewards. Now, when we understand and live by this principle, there's incre- there's amazing freedom. There's liberty in this. When you begin to realize, I mean, it's, it's, a, wise, it's a very good day for you. When you begin to realize that, that I don't own anything. I mean, I, you know, we say it's my car, my house. No, no, no. These things, really they're, they're God's. God's. God has allowed us to have them, and we need to be good stewards of them. Everything that we have, our children, our family, my wife, I mean, my ministry, it's not mine. This is God's. God has given us these things. I tell you what, I talk about my wife, and I, and I just, I miss, I miss her so much. I, I, I love her so much. I can't wait to get home. I wish she was with me this week, but she's not. In fact, when this conference is over, I love i love the pastor, and I love his family, and I love your church, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I you know... But when it's, when it's over and the final amen is said, you know what I'm doing? I'm getting in my car. <laughs> and I'm heading home. <laughs> I'm driving through the night. Why? I got to go see my wife. <laughs> uh, you know what I like to do when I get home? I like to take her, to, take her out to eat. That'd be cool. I like to, I like to take her somewhere nice, too. Not, not just some, you know, not Denny's or something. Maybe a nice steak dinner, but, yeah, you know what? That's expensive. Probably it cost $100, bucks, i am pretty sure, for that, something like that. I don't have a hundred dollars. Would, would, would anybody here give me a hundred dollars? Would somebody here give me a hundred dollars? Would any of you like to? I give you. What? Carlos, would you really? No, no. No joke. No joke. It's, it's not fake. Okay. Look at that. No, it's real. Look real. Yeah. It's real. That's a real hundred. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell my wife and thank you for that. What a good guy. Let me ask you a question. Why was it so easy for him to give me that money? Got any idea? Huh? Gave it to I gave it to him. It wasn't his money, it was mine. You got it. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how easy it is to give it back when it wasn't yours, right? <laughs> I didn't notice anybody else raising their hand. <laughs> but Carlos was, it, why? It wasn't his. Now, when we finally get this, and we understand that when God asks you to tithe, it was, it's His. All He's asking you to bring back ten percent. My goodness, how unselfish is that of God, and how selfish it is of me if I say ten percent. Yeah, I mean, you could have been, you could have been, could have been the government. They want thirty-five or forty percent. You know. God said, bring me back 10%. I, 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 everything you have, I'm going to let you have. I'm going to give you the ability to have it. I'm going to ask that you take the first 10%, bring that back to me to forward my work. The other 90%, I want you to be a good steward of. And then we come to Faith Promise Missions over and above the tithe, and, and, and God doesn't even tell us how much to give. He just says, I want you to pray about it. How big is your heart? How much do you want to be involved? How much can you afford to be involved? How, how much do you, do you want me to be able to do through you? When we understand that that th- there's tremendous freedom in this, I was preaching in in, in Portland a while back, and um, uh, for for uh, Brother House in Portland, and uh, <coughs> my wife wasn't with me that time, and so I told him I said now, now son, after the service uh, Sunday night. He, he says something about having breakfast on Monday. I said, oh, preacher, would you mind if I just, if I go home on Sunday night Yeah, it's, it's several hours. I said, yeah, I, I want to go home. I'll go see my wife. He's okay. And he says, anything you need to do, this is Saturday, before, before, before you leave Sunday night? I said, yeah, I need to get an oil change. I haven't had an oil change in a long time. So I got an oil change. <clears throat> he took me over to a place. And, uh, and then you know how they do the oil change. They, they, they check everything else. And the guy comes back and says, oh, it would be 35 bucks for the oil change. Oh, by the way, you need tires four of them, and he said, I wouldn't drive that, that car any, any longer until you, until you. I said, well, how bad is it? He says, real bad. You know, you shouldn't be on the freeway with it. You you need tires. Well, how much is it? $800. I said, you know, I want to get a second opinion, doctor. You know, <laughs> before I have surgery here, I want to get a second opinion. I don't know anything about cars. I don't know anything about almost anything. But, uh, but definitely not cars. So I So They're round. They're there. I mean, you know, what? What's wrong with the ones I got? He said, he said you shouldn't be on the, on the freeway with these. That's okay. So I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm going to make one trip on the freeway, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll get a second opinion. Okay, you need to do that. So I went to a, another place, and they said, yeah, they're telling you the truth. You, you know, you really need to get this done. It's $800. As I was driving back to Puyallup and, and through the night, I just was talking to the Lord about it. I said, Lord, you know your car? It needs tires, according to this other guy. And I'm going to check it out again, Lord, and make sure they're not lying. But I said, you know, your your, ty- your car needs tires, and so it's up to you, God. I, I really don't, I don't have opinion on it one way or the other. But I do want it to be safe, and I know you want it to be safe. And so, Lord, if you if you want tires on your car, then you know, show me what to do. And and the, and, and there's just tremendous freedom in that. You know, so, hey, God, you, you know, you you've got this bill coming up. What do you want me to do about it? It's it's his, and by the way, and, 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 and eight hundred dollars didn't come dropping out of the out of the sky, you know. But but the Lord enabled us to get the, get the tires and get keep keep on the road and keep moving. Um, but but there was just a freedom for me. When I'm driving down the road, saying God, you know, your car right here. This one I'm in right now. It's yours. I'm just I'm just using it. It's your car. It's your tires. It's your money. What do you want me to do? rather than having that burden on myself. Oh, what am I going to do about the future? I don't know. God's in charge of the future. You're his person, you're his child. Just ask him, Lord, what are you going to do about the future? They didn't wait for the circumstances to change. There was no there was no sorrow in giving that money. These people were not were not, were not feeling like, you know, I've been pressured to do this. You know, if looks could kill. And looks could kill, man, the the the, the the ushers would be in trouble, right? You know, they come, they come by with the, with, the, with the offering plate, and you, you guys it say, was, it was so bad here, you finally put them in the back and just said, we're tired we, we're, of ushers dying in the aisles, you know? And then, no, no, that's not why you put them in the back. But, you know, you, the, it's time for the offering. <laughs> Average Baptist church, so we get out the, the, the smallest thing we've got. It's a dollar bill, you know? And the ushers come out, we pray, and we're just, uh, for the money, you know? you got to get something, you know, they're looking. And so you get out the smallest thing you've got, and you just, you know, you hold. By the time this thing gets into the plate, George has a headache. You've squeezed him so hard, you know. <laughs> Can I just say this to you? Just keep it. It's okay. <laughs> just keep it. Keep it. It's God's church. It's God's work. He'll take care of it. pastor says, <laughs> pastor says I'm thinking right now, he leans over his wife and says, he's never coming back. <laughs> 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 he just said you don't have to Keep it. <laughs> Look, keep it. I mean, honestly, if that's... God God loves a cheerful giver, not a grudging giver. God, God doesn't, you know... Somehow, somehow they'll live without the dollar bill. You know, somehow the church will make it. Somehow God's, God's work will go on. And, and when it comes to this missions offering, um, we're not trying to squeeze money out of you for this. We're really not. Did you notice on that card there's no place for your name? Um, there, there, there's no place for your name we're not we're not checking it out the pastor's not going to look at it and say well you know how much did they give look the the only reason they ask you to fill out the card is so they can have a budget missionaries come through here they call your pastor on the phone they say hey can you can you help us and and you know he doesn't know if he can or not unless he has some kind of a budget he, we, we would be able we be able, we need to be able to know approximately how much money is going to come in this next year so we can make a budget and know whether or not we can help with the different needs that come through. That's why there's no place for your name on it. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't fill out the card, no, you're not going to be a, considered a second-class Christian here. We still love you. But you lose the blessing. You lose the opportunity to be involved. These people said, we want to give because we care. Number three, Jesus was their example. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Verse 9 says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's stop right there. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, If you don't know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then don't give. If God's never done anything for you, if you've never experienced his grace, then don't give. But if you have, I have. I have to give. How could I not give after all he's given for me? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, how rich? He owned it all. All the riches of glory, all of heaven. He created it all. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. How poor did he become? He left it all. That ye through his poverty might be rich. He gave it all. He held back nothing. He was born in a borrowed manger. He sailed the Galilean seas in a borrowed boat. He died on a borrowed cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He had nothing. But I, I, I think we, we can't really grasp how poor, what poverty Jesus stepped into in order that we might be able to step out of this poverty and into the riches and glory of, of heaven. Jesus stood before the entrance and exit of life, and here's what he said. One man that said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus said this, before you follow me, I'm going to tell you something. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So you come and follow me, but I'm telling you right now when you follow me, you you got no house. You've got no home. You're following me, you're going to follow a guy that's homeless. Where, where did Jesus live? Where did he live? Look, 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 look at John chapter 7, if you would, please, just very quickly. I want to you the last, the last verse of John chapter 7 and the first verse of John chapter 8. I think that's where, that's where, where it is. John chapter 7 and John, and, and John chapter 8. Did you ever notice this? I'm reading along through here one day, and, and look, look what this says. John chapter 7, last verse said, Every man went into his own house. Next verse, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. How come he didn't go to his own house? Doesn't look like he had one. They oftentimes slept in the Mount of Olives. I mean, he left, he left everything. For us, And the example that these people were giving, that Paul gives to them, he says, look, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, but he gave up everything for you, that you through his poverty might be made rich. He didn't hold back anything. Around the time of the 20th century, there was a group of missionaries who became known as the one, one-way missionaries. and The reason they were called that is because they bought one-way tickets to their mission field. And they actually packed their, their belongings in, in coffins. They didn't take luggage like we have. They took, they took coffins. They packed their belongings in the coffins. They bought a one-way ticket to where they were going, and, of course, sailing. And they never, they never planned to come back. One of those men was a man by the name of, uh, of uh, M.I.L.N.E., uh, I'm sorry, Milne, M-I-L-N-E, A.W. Milne. He went to a tribe of headhunters in the New Hebrides Islands. That's what we call now today, today uh, Vanuatu. All the other missionaries who had gone to the New Hebrides Islands, or to Vanuatu we call today, they had been martyred. All of them had died. There were a group of headhunters that lived there, and uh, everybody that had gone to that tribe had been killed and eaten. But A.W. Milne, mine, believed that God wanted him to go there, so he went there. And whenever they dropped him off... They, the, 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 the shipmaster wouldn't even go. The captain of the ship wouldn't even take it all the way over to the shore. They put him into a rowboat and said, you, you shouldn't go. You're going to die. Put his coffin and his, and his belongings and put him in the boat and, and uh, let him go to the shore. He stayed there for 35 years, and for some reason, they didn't kill him. <laughs> God gave him grace. and God, uh, God used him. God was, uh, as, as our brother said earlier, This is where he was supposed to be. He stayed there for 35 years. He found favor. He lived among the tribe there. He never returned home. Multitudes of people were saved on that that island. And still today, uh, Vanuatu is known as a a center for for the gospel. There's unsaved people there, but there's still a strong gospel presence there. Whenever Whenever he died, they buried him. And here's what they wrote on his tombstone. Wouldn't it be something if they could write this about us? They wrote this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. These, how, how did they do this? How have people throughout our church history given so of their finances, of their lives, of their, of their, their plans, their dreams, everything? Well, they didn't wait to give. They understood the principle of stewardship of ownership, that they that they did they, they didn't belong to themselves. They were following the example of Jesus. And number four, the church the Christians here in Second Corinthians eight gave proportionate to God's blessings. Wrap this up, verse eleven. Now therefore perform the doing of it, as there was a readiness to will talking about this offering. So there may be a performance also out of that which you have. We're talking about faith promise giving. We're not talking about, about, you know, pie in the sky. You know, I make make $100 a week, but I just believe I'm going to give $1,000 a week to missions. You know, Uh, we're not talking about using faith promise as your personal ATM, you know. And uh, I'm going to be able to, well, I'll make a commitment of, no, give proportionally to how God has blessed you. There, verse 12, if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted, would you understand this, according to, the, to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. So God is not, not asking. He's asking you to start where you are and give what you have. You begin giving like that. And then as your faith grows, God enables you to make a, a larger commitment and a larger commitment. For I mean not, verse 13, that other men be eased, and ye burden. Verse 14, but by an equality. By an equality. So what's he talking about? He's talking about this principle of giving that says, look, we give according to the way that God has blessed us. Uh, not everybody can give the same amount. Everyone can give sacrificially. Sometimes we say not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. So sometimes we, we, we feel like, well, I can't give a huge amount of money so, therefore, I'm not going to give anything. That's a, that's, a, that's a terrible mistake. God says, I want you to give according as I've blessed you. God doesn't want, I think I should be a multimillionaire. I really do. God and I disagree on that. Okay. I'm, Lord, if I, if I was a multimillionaire, I could give so much more. Mm, yeah, maybe. I got other people who can take care of that, do I? You just give what you can. You give according to how I've blessed you. But God, if you. No. <laughs> You know, uh, if, if I just had a million dollars, I would give. No, nah, you know what? If you won't give what you have now, you wouldn't give if you had more. Right. You start where you are. We start where we are. My wife and I began tithing when we when we as soon as we got married, and uh, and and we began to tithe, and then we went out to Springfield Misery and went to college, and for the first time we heard about 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 Faith Promise. Never heard of it before. And and they preached. We went to Faith Promise Conference, and so we began giving over and above the tithe a little bit to Faith, Faith Promise. And every year, then now for all these years, we we, we add we, we up it up a little. We, we increase it a little bit each year, and 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 God has allowed us to give more and more and more, to where now our Faith Promise commitment is 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 is, is the largest thing we have that we give, um, the largest bill we have, but 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 the our, our largest commitment we have, but. But God enables you to give proportionally to how he's blessed you. Don't feel bad about it. you can't give more. If he wants you to give more, he'll give you more. Start where you are. These people started where they were and said, we're going, to do, we're going to do what we can. But Paul, don't skip over us. Let us help. Let us give. Some of the most giving people I know are in Asia. And I'm telling you, they have so little. But they give. They give. And many of them it, it's a very small amount. A little rice that they bring or or some bananas. Literally, people bring bananas for the offering. They literally do. They bring rice sometimes. Um, they'll bring some fruits, some vegetables, maybe some pesos. A few a few pesos that in, in the Philippines or other places. They'll 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 bring what they have. They give what they can. The issue the issue never was about the amount that we give. The issue is always about our heart. Are we doing what God told us to do? God's, God's not concerned about the, the, the amount. He's concerned about the heart. It's the sacrifice. So let me ask you a question. I'm going I'm, I'm to conclude with this. I want you to think about this. Why has God blessed you? Why has God allowed you to live in the richest country, the most wealthy country in the world? The, the places where we work in those 17 different countries, to my knowledge, not one of them has a stimulus package. Nothing. Nothing. They're, they're hurting. Why, why, why do we have, why, why has the, he allowed you to live here? Why does God keep blessing you? Does he bless you because he... Is it really because he wants your standard of living to increase? Or maybe does he want your standard of giving to increase? Maybe God gives us more, not so we can have more, but so we can give more. Maybe maybe he wants us to be a funnel, a channel of his blessings. Remember this, God always blesses you to be a blessing... When he blesses you, it's never about you alone. He blesses us because he loves us. He blesses our obedience and all of that. But it's never just about us. The first time God promised to bless somebody was Abraham. Genesis 12, here's what he said. Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless thee, and thou shalt be a blessing. He blesses you so you can be a blessing. He blesses me so I can be a blessing to somebody else not just about me or about you. He blesses us to be a blessing. One of the most generous people I know is a young lady in communist Lao. Her name is Sin. S-I-N, Sin. She's a great girl. First time I met her, my wife and I met her. her she has very good English, and so they, they use her a lot over there for, you know, people like me that can't speak any Laotian. And, uh, First time I met her, my wife and I met her. So they, they came to the airport, and she met us at the airport along with the missionaries. and And she said, introduced herself. She said, "My name is Sin, but I don't have any." As cute, cute as she can be. She's now she's married and, and has 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 a has a child, but back then she was single. And she said, "My name is Sin, but I don't have any." And I said, "Sin, tell me your story. How did you get saved?" And she said to live, she, she lived up in the in the villages in the mountains. And she said we came. I came into the to the city uh, to find work. So she was working in a factory there, making making uh, clothes and things for us, you know, that we could sell at Walmart. And uh, so she's working in the factories, garment factories, in, in uh, Vientiane, Laos. And obviously, evidently, there was a Christian there, and uh, but she didn't know who it was. They were afraid to say they were. And so this other girl in the factory where she worked got a hold of the Chick Tracks, Chick Tracks in Laotian. And so she, she comes to work one day, and they're sitting at her, at her, at her workstation. There's, a, there's a, a Chick Track. This was your life or something, Gospel in Laotian, little comic book tracks. We're sitting there. And so she got it. She doesn't, she, to this day, she doesn't know who left it for her. Perhaps, some, surely somebody in the factory that didn't want anybody else to know that she was saved. So she, so she left this thing for, 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 for sin. Sin got it. She read it. She got saved. And she was so excited. She went, as soon as the weekend came, she took off and she went to the village and she began to witness to everybody in the village. She told her mother. She told her grandparents. She's, she's telling everybody about what happened to her. She, she's a brand new Christian. She didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, she, 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 got, she was doing this by about the third house they picked her up, threw her in a little, little bamboo jail, put her in jail. She was 19 years old. She was scared to death. And she said, I was in that jail, and she said, I, I was sitting there, and she said, I had a blanket, and I pulled the blanket up over my head, and, and I was just, just shivering, no food, nothing there. And she said, when I, when I put, to put the blanket down, I looked, and she said, the little, little bamboo, I could see that people were looking at me, and I pulled the back over my head. And she said, I, I didn't know what to do. She was just scared to death. And so they kept her there for a while, and then they let her out and said, now, don't ever do this again. Don't ever be walking around this village telling, t- talking to people about Jesus. She went back to Chen. She got connected with these missionaries that, that, I, that I'm connected with, and as she got into the church. She began to grow. And uh, today she's just one of the most giving, gracious. She doesn't have a lot of money, but um, she just gives. She cooks. She, anything she can do, she translates. She, she Just anything she can do to serve God. That's what I'm talking about, the spirit of giving. So what does God want you to do? I'd like to ask that you would just take this, this, this uh, card and really pray about it and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then, and then do what God tells you to do for his honor and his glory. And he'll use that little bit that we can give or that large amount that we can give. He'll use it for his honor and glory. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.